All right, good morning. I'm really happy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Riverstone. I've been on staff for about a year and a half now, and my wife and I have called Riverstone home for about, coming up on two years, pretty quick. Um, So relatively new to the community, um, but we are extremely happy to be here. And uh, real quick, just before we get started, uh, I did it earlier, but I have to change the wording so it's not super awkward again. Um, So uh, I was just thinking about uh, how Tom has led this church, specifically through the season that I've been here for, and it has been, it's been interesting to say the least. but I can very honestly say nobody has taught me more about what Jesus looks like than you. And uh, I've learned more in five minutes with you than I've learned in a semester in seminary. And so while you're here, I want to be here. And then when you leave, I guess I'll retire too. So uh, with that being said, I do have one more quick announcement that I want to make. Uh, If you have come in through the portico entrance and you have seen the wheelbarrow awkwardly sitting there, obviously it wasn't there this week. Uh, The goal for that was to raise $500 worth of camp scholarships. It was called the $500 wheelbarrow. Uh, 100% of the proceeds went to one camp scholarships, our big youth, youth camp over the summer. And I have to let you know, we did not hit $500. We hit $3,500. And so uh, we're going to be providing... A lot of scholarships for camp, and as great as that is and as generous as you all have been, there's still even a greater need than that. And so one of the ways we're going to try and make up for it is to have a bake sale next Sunday right outside these doors. And again, 100% of proceeds are going to uh, One Camp Scholarships. And on the front end of this, uh, if you know me, you know that I'm a big reader. I absolutely love reading. Uh, I'm super grateful for that. And I think there's just two books that would be great resources for any, uh, any man, honestly, that uh, hears this message and just wants maybe a little bit something deeper or more. Uh, the first one is Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It's been around maybe 30 years or so, but I would definitely consider it a classic. And uh, I would honestly say 90% of guys who read this book, if you have not read it, are like, wow, every word spoke to me. That was amazing. Um, And ladies, if you ever want to try and understand like the enigma that is a man's mind in his heart, it's a good starting place. Uh, The second that I would read after Wild at Heart is Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship by Jack Frost. This is not gender specific, so don't read too much into the sonship part. Um, but it, is king, it has a beautiful kingdom perspective that uh, honestly everybody needs. And so I would recommend that to anyone. And so I also just want to offer one more disclaimer. And I recognize from, for some of us, today is a really exciting and really happy day. We have phenomenal biological, spiritual, or just men that we've had relationship with in our lives that have just mentored us and loved on us through the years. And so I recognize that and we should totally, we should totally embrace that. But for perhaps just as many of us in the room, Father's Day is not a day of celebration. Father's Day is a day of maybe pain and confusion and hurt. And so I want to recognize that and uh, just tell you on the offset that I hope nonetheless uh, this blesses you in the process. And so with that, why don't we pray and we will jump right in. Okay. So Father, I thank you that uh, although we may not have, although none of us have, perfect biological fathers on this planet, that you have always been perfect, whether we've known it or not. And uh, I pray today for fresh encounter and fresh revelation of who you are, the character that you have shown, and uh, your love for us and our ability to love you in return. And so it's in your name I pray. Amen. 
Amen. So as I was preparing for this, it came, it came to the, I came to the realization that this is actually a little bit of an awkward sermon for me. Because if you know Alyssa or I, or if you heard my wording, uh, it is just us two. I don't have kids, so here I am giving a message on Father's Day to a bunch of fathers. And so when I brought this up to Alyssa, she said, well, you know, you're kind of a dad. You know, we've got our puppy now. Why don't you throw up a picture of us and our puppy? And I said, well, the only problem with that is is about 80% of people in the room don't really love millennials. And so if I do that, I'm going to affirm everything they think about me. So um, not a dad, not by any means. And so today, what I'm just going to really humbly and simply put forward is just what I have learned since being at Riverstone and what God has taught me in the process. And so if you find any of this message offensive in any way, my email is tom at riverstoneonline.org. You can email it as much as you want, anytime. I'd be happy to see those. Uh, he's got, I've already signed him up for a few email lists, so it may take him a while to get back to you. Um, so, with that being said, I have an engineer's mind without any math skills. So, like, third grade came around, and they introduced long division, and I just said, all right, it's been a good run. Like, <laughs> we had it pretty good up to here. Uh, so, with that being said, I think very uh, linearly, I think logically, I think in progression. And so, as I was thinking about what it means to be a dad, I just naturally just kind of started forming the structure. Okay, this is how love is supposed to flow. And as I thought about it, I thought about, okay, what does it really mean to be a dad? Like, if you had to break this down to its simplest structure, what does this mean? And what I came to was that to be a dad means to provide safety and security for your family. And you do this through how you love them, right? Safety and security comes for your entire family, from you to your wife and to your kids, through how you love them. And so I like to think of this as being properly aligned or almost like a pyramid or a hierarchy, okay? And so when I'm talking about alignment, I'm talking about, like, think about the alignment on your car. If you don't know what I'm talking about, when uh, the alignment on your car is true or it's how it's supposed to be, your steering wheel is not tilted at all to go straight. It's at zero degrees and your wheels are going in the exact same direction, okay? But when we hit curbs, we hit potholes, we go over curbs, uh, the alignment goes off. And I remember growing off, or growing up, excuse me, uh, I thought curbs were kind of like speed limits. I thought they were more suggestions because of the way my mom drove. She would go over them, she would hit them. Uh, sometimes I felt it was kind of like a safety check. It was something we had to do before the trip really started. But um, it's the same idea, right? Everybody knows that when your alignment goes off on your car to go straight, your steering wheel is either tilted a little bit to the right or it's tilted a little bit to the left. And if we're honest, not only does it grow increasingly frustrating, what we don't think about is that it's actually destructive to the car, right? Because the way it works is it's disproportionately using parts of the car that were not meant to be to use that way. And so what this does is it wears it down over time. Well, I think the reality for us is if we can recognize it, when we as fathers are out of alignment, then it disproportionately affects our family. And so today, I just want to zero in on how that alignment is supposed to work, and then we're going to move from there. Okay, so for us, we're going to start from the top of this pyramid. We're going to work down. The top obviously relies on the middle layer and then on the bottom layer. Without it, the whole thing falls apart. So I know this might seem out of order, but just stick with me. So the first place 
that uh, we're going to talk about today is actually the top of the pyramid. It relies on the bottom two. And it's about how fathers love their children, right? And so if I look through the Bible, and when I did, I noticed three themes that were fairly consistent. They were on the, uh, before the cross, and they were after the cross. And so the first theme that I noticed is that parents, specifically fathers, are really supposed to provide instruction for their children. This is a huge theme, okay? And in Proverbs 1.8, it says, hear my son, your father's instruction. And in the writer of Proverbs, probably David, the first nine chapters of this book is totally dedicated to coming from a father's voice for his instruction to his children. And the purpose of this is to teach his children and to grow them for them to increase in wisdom and understanding. And the only way this happens is through intimacy, right? Like it's very hard to teach your children anything if you're not around. It's very hard to teach them if you only see them once in a while or if you don't make time for them. But the reality is, is that in ancient times specifically, the fathers were right there with their kids all the time. They were always working alongside their father. And so what this resulted in was dad teaching his kids the ways of life. And Jeremiah 6.16 says it like the ancient paths. Who's going to show us the ancient paths? Well, the reality is it's supposed to be dad. Dad is supposed to show us that. And so if instruction is the first point of how a father can love their children well, the other one is tied to it, and that's discipline. That's everybody's favorite under 18. They all love that one. Okay, And so again, this is Old Covenant and New. And the uh, writer of Hebrews picks up on this. So in Hebrews 12.5, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so as fathers, when we go about disciplining our children, we have to model our discipline in the way that the father disciplines. And the way the father disciplines is always restorative. When we discipline, it cannot be and should not be It shouldn't be humiliating, embarrassing, belittling. Um, It should always be to bring our children back into right relationship with us. And if I'm being really honest, my house had one thing down growing up, and it was discipline, because practice makes perfect. And so one of my favorite, well, it's not my favorite, now it is, it wasn't then, but one of my favorite stories about this is when I was getting ready to go to college. It was my uh, senior year summer. I was going to college in just a few months. And the previous summer, I had worked at a heating and air company in their warehouse. And it was a really cushy job. It was really easy. Um, I honestly have no idea why they gave me that job, but they did. And so I worked there. I had no problems that summer. Now, the following summer, they asked me to come back. And they asked me to do something that I really didn't know what it meant, but my dad was like, oh, you're doing it. And I was like, okay. And so they asked me to take apart old AC units and evaporator coils to get the copper out of them. That way they could recycle them and make, make more money. And so I didn't know what that really meant. I couldn't have told you what an evaporator coil was. And so I showed up for my first day of work and it was outside in late May all day. No cover, no AC. I was on a saw all day taking off copper. 
And, uh, you know, I smiled throughout the day, but when I got home and my parents got home and they were like, how was your first day? And I was like, it was pretty good because it was also my last day. And uh, my mom said, well, is somebody expecting you back there tomorrow? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't tell anybody I wasn't coming back. And so when my dad got home, he was thrilled to hear my attitude about how I was approaching this. And so they didn't really say anything that day. And then the next day, I slept through a couple phone calls, some texts, some emails, went to the pool with my friends. And then uh, when my dad got home, he asked, said, hey, so did you go to work today? I was like, nope. I was, uh, I was at the pool. And actually, you know, my friends, they have some hookups. I'm not going to go back. My dad was like, well, let me tell you how things are actually going to go. He likes to call these enlightening moments. He says, uh, well, if you don't go back to work, you are going to lose this. I'm going to stop paying for that. And long story short, I did not have another unpaid day off that summer. And so, but the reality is, right, is that children need discipline. Although that story may not happen with your kids, children need discipline because they need to be corrected. Um, And so Tom said this a few weeks ago in his message on waiting. He said, nobody likes self-pity. And while we can all agree with that, I want to put something else forward today. Nobody really likes to be around children that are not disciplined. I say that like very lovingly and very honestly. And if you're like, man, I wonder if we discipline our kids well, I would love to tell you. So you're more than welcome to come ask me anytime. I'll give you an objective response. You have my email if you disagree with, you know, kind of the, what I come to. And uh, we'll just take it from there, right? So if that is the top layer of the pyramid, that's who... Ha- that is the last person in this hierarchy who has to be loved is our kids, then the next one I would put forward is a little controversial. And if we're being really honest, we've all heard it at some point, and it's really popular outside the church. And again, just we're in church, so let's keep it real. Uh, We've heard the same thinking inside the church too. And it's that the next person that is actually supposed to become before a father's love to children is a father's love to their spouse, okay? And uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Missed my spot, didn't do that in the first service. All right, so when I was looking through the Bible to prepare for this, uh, I just looked at kind of the mandates that were given to husbands and to fathers. And where was God telling them to have their priority and what was he telling them to have about their priorities? And so when I looked, this is what I find. I find that what society tells you about putting your spouse before your kids, or excuse me, putting your kids before your spouse is completely contradictory to the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, that is not the message of the Bible. That is not, it is literally not said one time. But what is said is an incredibly strong testimony about how husbands and fathers are called to love their wives. And Paul says it like this in Ephesians 5.25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He goes on in verse 28 to say, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself. And so those are really big calls, if we're being honest. Those are really, really big calls. Do I need the handheld? And so those are really, really big calls, especially 525. If you think about how Christ loved the church, he literally died 
for the church. And so that's the call for the husband. And so what's interesting is that call is not given for children. The language for a father's relationship to his children outside of God's relationship to us, but as earthly fathers and husbands to our physical children is nowhere close to that. And so let me give you a practical example of what this actually looks like because it really impacted me. So I've learned a lot uh, since I've been at Riverstone. And one of the groups I've learned the most from is our small group leaders, uh, the adults who come and volunteer week in and week out to, to work with our students. And uh, I've gotten so much great parenting advice from them, some solicited, some not. But one of the best stories I heard was from one of the guys who leads our small group. He has a couple girls of his own. And as they were a really young family, he noticed a family that was just absolutely thriving. The kids never fought. They loved their parents. They liked each other. And so he says to himself, I want to know, like, I want to know what they've got going on. And so he asked the dad to go out to lunch with him. And he's, he takes dad out to lunch and he says, you know, I've noticed what you have going on in your family. Like, what are you doing that's so different from all the other dads out there? What is, what is the special sauce? And he says, you know, one thing I always felt that I did was so important. So I started when I was, uh, I just, my daughter was a little girl. And he said, you know, when you get home and you have a toddler, when dad gets home, it is a celebration. Whether you're tired from work or not, your kids are so excited to see you. And so the temptation, and we all know it because we've all given into it at some point, is your little boy, your little girl runs up to you, daddy, 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 daddy's home. And the temptation is just to kiss them all over and grab them up and let them know how much you miss them. But what this dad said is, uh, it was monumental in changing my perspective on this. He said, when I got home and my little girl ran to me, my temptation was to do exactly what I just said, pick her up, kiss her all over, let her know how much I loved her and missed her. But he said, I'd pick her up, I'd carry her over to her mom, and I would give her mom a big kiss right in front of her, and I'd let her know how much I loved her mom and how much I missed her. And then, and only then, would he turn his attention to his daughter. And so I know there's some in here that just saying that, you're like, I don't know. But I would honestly, I would honestly just say, test the spirits. You are more than welcome to go check the Bible. And uh, as that's the authority in our life, that's where we need to come into agreement with. Now, if that is the second best way that we can love our kids, what is the foundational way that we can love our kids? And that's very straightforward. It is not rocket scientists. You don't have to do any crazy research to figure this out. Jesus tells us. And so we're gonna look in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. And so what's just happened is that Jesus has just gotten questioned over and over again by the Pharisees trying to trip him up. And uh, there was actually debate among the scribes, lawyers, and Pharisees, Sadducees, all those guys at the time about what was the most important commandment. And so they asked Jesus that exact question. And he said, and this is Jesus, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command. And so uh, if God gives a command, it's because life flows from it. Whether we like it or not, that command is for us and is for our benefit. And so if Jesus said it, there's incredibly good reason to listen to what he had to say. The rest of life flows 
from this command. It is through receiving God's love that we are then able to love our wives well and love our children well. And so it's through this specific lens that I want to offer a, para, a para, seeming, seemingly paradox idea. And so the best fathers, if you look around at the families that are really thriving, John 10, 10, the families that are living in that, they are living in Jesus' promise to come and give life and give it in abundance. They have one thing in common, and it's that the best fathers are not just fathers. They are sons. The best fathers are not just fathers. They are sons. And so what this means for us as men and as dads is that we have to stop believing lies. We have to stop believing that God doesn't care about us, that he hates us, he's disappointed in us. We are not who he designed us to be. The reality is, is that as soon as we ask Jesus into our lives, we become the apple of his eye. He's always been in love with us and always wanted us, but now we are brought into a closer relationship where we are finally his children again. And so as guys, if we can just be honest for just a few minutes, real quick, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say, yeah, this is me, um, but let's just be honest. And I get a kick out of these companies. And if this is any of y'all, I really don't mean offense by it, but I get a kick when I see these companies because I think they're well-intentioned, but I think they miss it. Um, If you look around at a lot of the Christian startup companies that are around here today, all of them that target men are all about being lions, Like every single one of them is about a lion. It's about you're a lion, you're a big bad man, like roar here and roar there. But the reality is, is that if you look through the Bible, there's very few places in the Bible where men are necessarily highly spoken of. If you look through the Psalms and the Proverbs, more often than not, what are we called? We're called, thank you, Tom. We're called sheep, okay? You're not called a lion, you're called sheep. And the reality is as sheep, you will never turn on the evening news And they will ever report, yeah, today a sheep actually savagely massacred a man to death. It was absolutely terrifying for everybody who saw it. No, sheep are defenseless. They can't really do anything. But if we continue to be real for just a minute, we as men, we love to hide. We love to make excuses and we love to hold up fig leaves for why we aren't the way we are. We are so insecure, and because of this insecurity, this health or unhealth flows onto our family. And so if we could, let's stop hiding for just a few minutes. You don't have to talk to your spouse. You don't have to blame your spouse for why your fig leaves are up. None of that. Let's just talk about some of the fig leaves us men use to hide who we actually are. We all know that we love to hide behind our careers. We love to run off to work. We love to hide behind our money. We love to hide behind the things that we own. We love to hide behind our homes, our cars, our sports addictions, our video games, you name it. We have more addictions and more insecurities than the women that we make fun of for how insecure they are. And so here's the reality. You can't do this on your own. And a lot of guys, we love to try and do this on your own. We absolutely, we say, we think we are lions. The reality is you're not. And if you're like dead set and you're like, no, man, I'm for real. Like I'm one of the few. I'm one of the ones that they talk about in the Psalms. My hands are ready for war. I'm a lion. Let me ask you something. How is that going for you? For real. Like how is that working out for you? And before you answer it, go home, ask your family. What do you think of me? Do you feel that I'm hiding or do you feel that I'm present here with you and leading you? And so as dads, you have to recognize you're not a lion, 
You can't do this all on your own. You're a sheep. And as a sheep, we are actually supposed to be sons. And so Paul talks about this in his uh, letter to the Romans in the uh, chapter of the Bible that's considered the gateway to the Bible. In chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. And so I want to be really straight with y'all. You guys obviously know I'm fairly young. I get mistaken for a high schooler all the time. I'm 28, and I can tell you life has already kicked my butt up to this point when I try to do it by myself. It did not work out well. The only place I ended up when I tried to do it by myself was on the strongest antidepressant they could describe me and just an absolute train wreck. And so what I need to know, what I need to live from, what I have to live from, if I want to live the way, uh, if I want to live this life the way it was designed to live, is that I'm a son. Like I have a really big dad and really small problems. And the reality is, is that the invitation for today is for dads to bring your family into the promised land. I love the story in Numbers, and I love how true it is for us today. If you're not familiar, after Moses leads Israel out out of Egypt and into the wilderness, God has promised them time and time again, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the promised land. You just show up and do what I tell you to do, and everything is going to be just fine. He repeats it, it seems like, every time he talks. But what happens is they send 12 men into the promised land to spy it out and see what it looks like. 10 of them come back and say, no way. There are literally giants in the land. There's fortified cities everywhere. We could never in a million years take this. And so they balk. But there were two guys there, Joshua and Caleb, who were like, what are you guys talking about? God said he was gonna give this to us. And so the reality today is that Men, we need the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. Our families are waiting on us to bring them into the promised land. Nobody else is going to. You need it, your wife needs it, and your children need it. And God wants it more than you could ever imagine. And when you are a son, guess what happens when you recognize that you're really small and he's really, really big? Cancer can't touch you. Loss of a job can't touch you. The worst thing is that life can throw at you, can't touch you because you have him. And I just, I know life is gonna, Jesus promised, in this world, you will have troubles. And so guess what? If those troubles are gonna come, I'd rather not worry about them. And that's our prayer today. And so I wanna go ahead and invite our prayer teams up. And I just wanna, um, I wanna pray, I wanna pray three things for this group today. And uh, obviously as our prayer teams come, if you have other things that you'd like prayer for, we'd be more than happy to pray for those too. This is not an exhaustive list. And so if you heard today's message and realize in some areas you need to get right with God as a father, um, maybe you have fallen short. Maybe you have missed the mark. Maybe you've been super passive and you've run away to work instead of running to your family. It could be anything. Um, I invite you to either come get prayed for, bring your family to the altar, or just pray where you're at. Uh, I would also uh, like to recognize that, like I said earlier, there are some in this room that your dad 
was nowhere close to this. Nobody has a perfect dad on this planet, but we do have a perfect heavenly father. And so if you are still holding unforgiveness and bitterness towards your dad today, the only person that unfortunately is hurting is you. And so we would like to pray through that with you and you are invited to come up. And lastly, there's a theme that runs again through the whole Bible. And it's the fact that God loves to open barren wombs. So if there's anybody in here desperately wanting to become a dad that hasn't been able to, uh, we'd love to pray for that as well. And so with that, let's pray. I thank you, God, for the great dads that are in this room. Riverstone has, uh, it does, it has some great fathers in this house and is all a testament to how you have worked here and the work that you have done. And so today I pray that we would lean into the fact that all we have to do is follow you. You do the hard work. You do all the heavy lifting. All we have to do is follow you into the promised land. So I pray that you would nudge who you need to nudge. You would push who you need to push and you would love who you need to love. And it's in your name I pray.